Welcome listeners to a brand new bonus episode of Oh My Word Podcast. And today we've got a really special treat. We have with us an author, Kathleen Troy, who wait until you hear about her books and what she's working on. Kathleen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I appreciate it. Very glad to have you and hear all about everything that's going on. Also, because you have a recent release, you have an upcoming release, there's releases flying all over the place. So, we always start off with kind of an origin story of how did you get into this? Why did you decide, I got to write a book. I got to make this happen. Well, I've always written. Growing up, if I had a bad day at school, I came home and I wrote myself a better one. No denial there. Later on, undergrad, I was a journalism minor. I was an English major, so there you go. But what happened was it really got me going. My father, Ed, he was 47 and he was diagnosed with cancer. We knew immediately that it was fatal. So decided to write an adult novel. It was a murder mystery, really cheery for some of you. When I would visit him in the hospital, I would read a chapter to him. Unfortunately, he died before I finished the book. So I put it aside and it was sometime after that I was at a really, really bad play with a friend and I said, you know, my book is better than this. And he goes, everybody thinks their book is. I go, no, it really is better than this. So I put it out and I finished it and I was really, really lucky. I got an agent on the first try, and wow. she got an offer. Yeah, and she got an offer to buy the book on the first try. I was so excited. And then I found out that they were going to buy the book outright, and that would mean it would no longer be mine. And so oh. here I am within that dilemma of I want to be published, but it would no longer be mine. And so I thought about it really hard and I thought, no, I'd written the book for Ed and I decided that I just didn't want to give away a memory. So I declined the offer. So I went on to start writing in other areas and I write typically in middle grade. I have a series for that called a Dylan's Dog Squad series. And then I have a young adult series to be. I have the first book and a half written. And that is called the Never Believe series. So I'm working on the two of them. Great. Well, okay. Going back, follow-up questions. You said that you had studied journalism or English and things like that. Before your dad's diagnosis, did you do anything career-wise with writing or you kind of pursued other things? I've always written in my professional life. I was an attorney for 13 years. Uh I write a lot. I teach writing for business at Cypress College. It's different than creative writing, of course, but I do write. In other aspects of my life, I used to be the director of education and development for the archdiocese, and so I wrote all the curriculum for all the youth at risk. So I've written in many different aspects. Aspects. I've always, always written. But as far as writing something for me that came later, and really as illness was what sparked it. And I thought, you know what? I could do this. I really want to do this. I love a story. Who doesn't? And I love hearing a story. So it was just a natural combination and a natural progression, I think. And then murder mystery. Where? What? Why? <laughs> Again, another cheery subject. So always I think a little ahead of most kids my age. I remember when I was about eight, I read Gone with the Wind. I thought that was so great. Oh, wow. But my first book that really, really influenced me was by Daphne du Maurier, and it was my cousin Rachel. And the first line was, they used to hang men at four turnings, but not anymore. And I went, oh, my gosh, I wanted to write like that. 
I wanted to have the power to bring in a reader, have them so excited that they were turning the page, they couldn't wait to read it, and so incredibly sad when they got to the end of the book. And I find that that is maybe the makeup, the character of murder mysteries. People will move through it fast if you're telling the story right. Huh. So someone comes to you and they're like, I sped through your book. It was so easy to read. I flew through it. That's the best thing they could tell you. Oh, yeah, I would love it. So what happened after that when you got the agent right away, you got the offer right away, and then you decided not to? So did the book just kind of die out on submission? Have you written more adult murder mysteries? Where did that shift occur? It's interesting because I looked at it about a year or two ago, and it was so bad. Oh. <laughs> I can't believe I got an offer. I can't believe someone wanted to buy it. It was so bad. But there's actually a good structure to it. So I think I'm going to look at it and try to revamp it and bring it into better light, put a better twist on it. There is a good story, but just the writing, I found that I had employed almost every aspect and characteristic of every murder mystery book I had ever read. So I think I want to put my voice on and rewrite it. That makes sense. Like your first book is just an outpouring of everything you've been putting into yourself until then. So, I think so. Yeah. I think so. And you should think that your writing has gotten better. That's the way it should go. I hope so. <laughs> well, then also, are you still working with that agent? Or once you weren't doing that anymore, you kind of moved on from there? I moved on from that. The next area I went to was the Never Believe series, which is a book and a half right now. And that is a murder mystery, and it involves a 13-year-old down-and-out junior con artist. He was living with his father in Las Vegas, and his father was not exactly dad of the year. When he died, Sage, that's my 13-year-old, was sent to live with family he never knew he had in Evansville, Connecticut. He decides that he's only going to stay long enough to steal their money, their valuables, and their car. He's a really great kid. But he finds out that his father was putting a hustle on someone in Evansville. He also finds out there's a 19-year-old murder mystery still going on and a million-dollar reward offered. So he figures out that for a million bucks, he can stick around. And so he does, and he starts to be drawn into this family and what it's like to be in a normal family and have people care about him. And he is conflicted. Should I say, should I go, what? Well, unfortunately for him, a member of his family turns out to be the murderer and would like him very, very dead. So the book is a race between him discovering the murder mystery, solving it, collecting the million dollar reward and outrunning the murderer. So it's a found family murder mystery. It is. <laughs> Imagine sitting around their Thanksgiving table. So that's the first one, Never Believe a Lie Twice. The second one is Never Believe a Con Artist Twice. That's when his past catches up with him. And he is really in a bad situation. But he needs to figure out how to make it work. Okay, so why did you switch over to Young Adult instead of making this like an adult kind of series again? Typically with adult writing, there's always sex. And I know this is terrible, but I got just bored, silly, writing the sex things. I mean, how many positions can you get into? And so I decided to exit out and make my protagonist 13. He's almost 14. And so that would put him in the young adult category. Well, cozy mysteries are usually pretty much cleaner. But I guess it's not... They are, yeah. but I don't find that they have much depth. In the Never Believe series, 
it's a lot of twists. Every time something is going well for him or he thinks he has it figured out, the rug gets jerked out from under him. There's a lot of red herrings in it. People are thinking, oh, well, this is it, or this is the murder, or this is, and it doesn't turn out to be. And so at the end, where it all claps together like thunder, the readers are always saying, I didn't see that coming. And I'm like, yes, yeah. that's what I want. Kind of like a cleaner thriller style, murder mystery, but thriller yeah. style. Yeah, okay. And yeah. so getting that published, did you try to get an agent again? Did you decide that's it? I'm just going to go my own way. What were the decisions that happened there? Well, it was pretty encouraging and discouraging. So I belong to Sisters in Crime, and I belong to the California Writers Club, and I belong to Society Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. And every time I submitted the story to an agent or an editor, I love it. I love the story. I love the way you write. I love the character. I want the full manuscript, and it never went anywhere. That's where it became very discouraging. I knew it was a good story. I'd won several awards. I knew there was something. So about four years ago, I created my own publishing company. It's called Dylan and Friends Publishing Company. I was my first client. It took me a couple of years to get the company up and running. And then I actually published Never Believe a Lie Twice last September. So it's been out over a year. I should say September 2021. It's been out over a year and it's been getting good reviews. Kirkus wrote a wonderful review on it. I'm forever grateful. So I am pursuing that. But in the interim, I have a new series and it's Dylan's Dog Squad series. And that is middle grade. That is about an American Cocker Spaniel who lives with an American in South Korea, Daejeon, South Korea. And life is good. The dog has no rules, no restrictions. But when he chews his way through the apartment, destroys the furniture, destroys the inside of the owner's BMW, he decides he doesn't want a dog. They're too much trouble. So he sends him to live with his 12-year-old brother, Casey, who lives in Brea, California. So I advertise the town I live in. And in the first book, Dylan's Dilemma. They get to know each other and they develop a special bond and they start going through training, agility training, American Sign Language training, and other types of things. And they then branch into early search and rescue. And that's where that book rather finishes. But in the next one, Dylan's Dream, they are certified and they do search and rescue on Catalina Island. They also run into some other difficulties and they solve it. At the end, it's a happy story. And then the third book, Dylan's Villain, this is where they have formed Dylan's Dog Squad. And it's actually Dylan, the Cocker Spaniel, Casey, the 12-year-old boy, and their best friend, Sumo. They get their first client, and it's a kleptomaniac chimp. He's rather a celebrity. He used to make an appearance at the San Diego Zoo, but unfortunately... Yeah, he's kind of sticky-fingered. So they're hired to bodyguard him and save him from stealing while he's there. And that turns out not so well. That turns out fairly well. It turns out okay. But then they are also hired by their friends who own Canine Dream Big Academy because they've borrowed money from the sledgehammer, a loan shark, and they can't pay it back. And so they bring the criminal, the sledgehammer to justice, and they save their friend's school. So again, there's a happy ending. And the fourth one that I'm working on right now is Dylan's Hawaiian Ghost. The boys and Dylan, they're in Oahu. So they really get around. 
I just finished writing about they went ziplining. So Dylan had never been ziplining before. Most dogs have never been. But he went ziplining and lived to tell the tale. Are these books written from the dog's perspective? Somewhat. I didn't want it to be cutesy. And he doesn't talk, but his thoughts are there. It seems to go well. Going back to Kirkus again, I've gotten three incredible reviews from them and they like the approach the point of view in that again it's not a situation where the dog has been given human characteristics yet his thoughts are there so dylan tends to be a little smarter than the boys tends to have them together a little bit but he messes up he's a dog what's wonderful about the books is that in each one he has grown a lot in the first one he was a dog that came to america didn't even know his own name went through training developed this wonderful bond with Casey, his 12-year-old boy, and together they have just grown. And if there's a message to the book, Dylan's a great dog, Casey's a great boy, but they're stronger together. And I think that's probably true of most relationships in life. Yeah. Why did you choose to write middle grade? First of all, you wrote middle grade, and it's not a murder mystery. So No, it's not. Yeah, where did that shift occur? It's actually based on a true story in that I had friends who lived in Daejeon, South Korea, and they told me that they were getting a dog. I just kind of went, oh my, okay, because these people, wonderful people, but not really good on rules and consistency. And my background also, I was a dog trainer. And I told him, I said, you need to train the dog. Dogs love to work. They need to have purpose. They need to have consistency. And they're like, ah, what do you know? And so when they did all the things that I wrote about, Dylan ate their apartment, literally, and they decided their car. But here was the best part. He ate their wedding pictures and the negatives. (laughs) I thought that was great. Anyway, she said dog or divorce. And he said, you've got to take the dog. And I didn't want another dog. And so... I said, I'll take him and I'll find him a good home. Poor Dylan, he traveled from Daejeon, South Korea to LAX by Korean Cargo Air. He was 27 hours in cargo and his water bottle fell out. He had no water. And at that time, cargo hold wasn't regulated. So he was in extreme heat, extreme cold. He could have died. I got him again. I was going to find him a good home. And out of all the dogs I've ever had he was the best dog he passed away last year but he had a 500 word phrase vocabulary he knew sign language he knew all directions left right he knew a truck from a car he knew all the standard animals like giraffe bear horse all things like that he could contact 911 with a special device he ended up working for hospice as a service dog he was a spokes dog for baskin robbins because he loved vanilla ice cream and at the end of a working day he got two tablespoons of ice cream. He was the mascot for Cypress College where I teach. He actually spoke, so to speak, at our graduation a couple years ago. He had a wonderful, wonderful life and many of the stories and adventures are based in truth. He was my inspiration writing the beginning book and he's my inspiration now. I just have to think a little bit and think about Dylan and there's the story. So you didn't give him up? 
No, I became the good home. And we were literally never, ever apart. In the 16 years I had him, he went to school with me every day. He went to movies, theaters, restaurants, concerts, everywhere I went. The only time we were apart was when he was at the groomer. But other than that, he was with me every minute. And so we had an incredible bond. I could give him a look and he would know what to do. And people treated him like a human. And they say, what is he thinking? You just know, in this case, him so well. We were very in tune together. So you named the publishing company... Dylan and Friends Publishing Company. So you had already named it for him without even anticipating that you were going to write a book about him or it was kind of already... Right, right. I was really working on the Never Believe series, but then I just started writing the first book, Dylan's Dilemma. It's just something light, something different. It's funny. They have adventure. They get into trouble and things like that. I wanted a different pace. For example, in the last book, Dylan's Villain, it was about three quarters of the way through and things were going really smoothly for Dylan and the boys. And I decided it was going too smoothly, so I got them arrested. Just some technical question about the self-publishing. So you start this company, do you work with freelancers or who's designing your covers, who's doing layout for you, who's looking over stuff for you? I am so fortunate in that I have many, many people who are helping me. I'm a creative person. I'm not a techie person. It would take me forever to do all this. And I probably couldn't do it myself. And I wanted to do it right. I wanted to be hitting the ground running and going. So I'm so thrilled. I'm so fortunate. Gina Cabaldi, who's a member of Society Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, she does the covers for the Dylan series, Dylan's Dog Squad series. They are amazing. They are art. Everyone who sees them, just how beautiful. It looks like art. Next to other covers, they really stand out. Then what I did was I hired two teams. One is a team that originally I wanted her for marketing. And she said, no, not yet. What you need to do is discover distribution. So I went Mm. from being... Amazon, which I am there, my books are there, but that is not the panacea that most people think it is. For example, librarians and stores, they don't want you if you're on Amazon. Instead, what you need to do is be linked to Ingram Sparks, their major distributor. And so she got me with Ingram Sparks. That took a lot to do. I'm very grateful. Now my books are wherever books are sold. So you can go in any bookstore, they can look me up and I'm there. Schools can look me up librarians public librarians school librarians i'm there i'm available and that opened a lot of doors because people want me for visits now it makes you legit it i think brings you up a little bit in the status from well it's not just another author who enjoys doing this it's someone who's serious about her craft so the other person that i hired was someone with actually a background in advertising and she does my social media so she created my websites they're beautiful they're beautiful and she developed a facebook page for dylan you know the pup's got his own page she put together instagram and it's just first rate i'm so incredibly grateful to these people they are they're just perfect every day i'm grateful for them i can't thank them enough that, well, that's great. And are you thinking now, looking to the future, even if you can't say with 100% certainty, but this is kind of the path you want to take that you're just going to be publishing your own stuff, whatever age group it's for, 
Or do you think you're going to go back out into the query trenches? I am going to continue with the Dylan's Dog Squad series because it takes place in the summer and the books wrap up very quickly within a few days. So it could be summer forever. And the Never Believe series, that probably will have a shorter duration in that they do take longer because they're more in-depth, they're more complicated, it's a more involved story and so on. So it takes longer for their passage of time. Instead of a couple of days, it's more like three or four weeks. So that will probably last maybe three books. I will continue on, like I said, with the Dylan's Talk Plus series, but I want to branch out since I have the publishing company. I would like to bring in other authors like myself who just had a tough time getting recognized and they want their work published. They want to see their dream come true. And so I'm willing to give them a chance. I hope that they will take that chance. I think sometimes it's scary. There's something that I've discovered, Esther, is that people like the idea of being a writer, but the actual writing is a roadblock. They don't really realize you've got to sit in that chair and do it. And this is never ending. I look at opportunities every day. How can I get myself out there? How can I get myself known? How can I connect with people? Something else I think is so important when you are doing this, it's like the old adage of you want to have a friend, you need to be a friend. And when you are out here writing or meeting other writers and things like that, share your experiences, give your advice because everybody needs a little help. Sometimes you never know when you're going to make someone else's journey a little easier or just give them hope. Hey, you know what? You can do this. Look at me. I did it. I think there's a lot more people who are far more techie than I am and this will come easier to them and they might glom onto it faster than I did, but they can do it. They can do it if you really, really want it. Amen. Yeah. So you haven't started developing that aspect yet of bringing in other authors. That's just something that you're thinking about doing down the line. I want to do it. It's out there. I'm not really ready for it yet. I think what I would do is take a lesson from the two women that do the consulting with me is that I'll create a team. I believe that people should do what they do best. So I think there are some strengths that I have that I could help a writer who wants to be published. But I would also turn them over to, again, these two women and their teams to help them and give them guidance so that they don't spin their wheels. They don't take unnecessary steps. They can get there faster because sometimes it can be a little discouraging when you don't see something happen. They've got a story. Get it in the hands of the reader. Get it out there. Yeah. People have to keep tabs on you to see if you do open up for submissions and what kind of submissions you'll be looking for. It will probably be middle grade or lower young adult. I'm not opposed to picture book or chapter books. But I don't have much experience there. So I think, again, starting out, I will want to offer what I know best and help in that way. But, you know, get broaden the team, bring more people on, build that pyramid base. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you're doing school visits, you do the school visits for the Dylan books or you do it for also the young adult books? I will do what they want from me. I have 
usually gear them to my website so that they know what I'm about, they know what I write. And then depending on who my audience is, if it's a younger audience, it's probably going to be the Dylan books. If it's a little bit older, it's going to be the Never Believe books. But sometimes I've done visits to high schools and it's actually a class that is learning how to write a story. We might look at the Dylan's Dog Squad books, even though it's younger, it's pretty easy to show how you have an arc and how you get to that point and how you build whatever it is you want to build, you know, mystery, excitement, the next step, and so on. So I will do what they want to do. I will leave that up to them. They can do a question and answer. I can do a presentation, whatever. Well, you got so much experience in so many different areas, so it sounds like you could do whatever is asked. Thank you. Let's say if you're going to a younger audience, you find a passage from the Dylan's book to read to them. How do you choose what to sample? I'll tell you about my first experience. A friend of mine wanted me to teach her a second grade class. I said, sure, no problem. And at that time, Dylan was still alive. So I asked how long, and she said two hours. And I went, ooh, two hours for second graders. (laughs) But no problem. So I got my material prepared. I was ready. Two hours. Fill it up. I walk into the classroom. It's like, there's a dog. Oh, he's fluffy. Why is he so short? He's got a black nose. I have a brother, but I want a dog. Does he like pizza? Who's his best friend? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Were they interested in my presentation? No. Oh, and the teacher left. She left me alone. What we did was we just sat in a circle and they all took turns sitting next to Dylan. Poor Dylan got his little ears like headed off. And we started kind of like the dog version of telephone. You know, start with a sentence, you know, go to the next one. And we created a story. And it was actually really, really good. I got some ideas from them. But that's what we did, how to develop a story. And we talked about some things about, well, this is going a little too far. You know, we need to kind of bring it back or we need to build up some excitement here. How would we do this? How would Dylan react to that? What would the kids say? What would they do? And they were into it. It was great. But (laughs) I was nervous for a while. Two hours. Yeah, well, even though it does sound like it was very productive in the end. So, yay. It turned out well. That's what counts. Very good. Another kind of technical question. All these things about storytelling and things like that, even though you had done some of this in schooling and growing up, when you did decide, okay, I'm going to seriously look back at writing books and really consider this, did you then sign up for courses, workshops? How did you know to go find these societies to be part of? What happened there? I hadn't signed up for any workshops until I joined Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. And I really have to say that changed my life. They are starting to do in-person conferences again, and they're so invaluable. Because I heard what other people did, I got to hear what agents wanted, what they were thinking, what editors were looking for, and things like that. It just opened up a whole new world. I got to network with people just like me, people who were writing their 12th book, people who had been self-published, people who had an agent. It opened so many doors of thinking and possibility to me. And I can't urge people enough. Get out there. Get in your community. Find out what other people are doing. Read what you write. Read what other people write. Grow. Get bigger. See what your characters develop. But these experiences were just invaluable. The workshops, they told me a lot of things I needed to know. 
for example, with middle grade, in the first 250 words, you need to let the reader know who your protagonist is, how old he or she is, where do they live, what do they look like, and what's the problem, or at least launch them into it. So there's a lot of action, a lot that takes place in 250 words. It's not like the adult writer Mishner that took him 500 pages to cross the Atlantic, okay? <laughs> In children's books, you get to it right away. You capture the interest. I think that's why adults are starting to read middle grade and young adult, because I've been told that the attention span of adult is eight seconds. So they want to get in and get into the story and have it move along. Going to the conferences, signing up, that happened before you had put any of your books out? Or that was a middle, during, after... That was the very beginning. And then I had my rough draft. I had my first pages. I entered every contest they offered. Any agent that was looking for something that I was writing, I would submit to him or her. I was very respectful. I didn't want to send my work to somebody who wasn't interested in what I write. I know a lot of people go, oh, there's an agent. Okay, I'm going to send it to him or her. And I thought, no, that's not the way to do it because maybe I'm taking up time and space that could be better used on someone who is really deserving of this agent or editor's time. So I wanted to make a good submission. And also I wanted to be the type of writer that people wanted to hear from. Oh, you know, that's Kathleen. I want to read her work. I want to look at it. So I wanted to build an audience there. But yes, I took advantage of everything they had to offer. I attended so many workshops, so many conferences. I listened to other writers. Every time I did, I learned something different. And sometimes it was just to learn that that's not for me. I needed to do it differently or that wouldn't work for me because sometimes it can be just as valuable to know I don't need this as well as it is valuable to know I do. Yeah, that's a good point. It creates a structure, a different kind of structure for you. So all this happened after the adult mystery and the agent that you had before that. Or this has also happened about the same time? It happened after. I just decided to get serious. I thought, this is what I really want to do. You know, you hear about how people had their dream. And I thought, well, when am I going to have mine? I was so busy doing so many other things. And I enjoyed them. And I'm grateful to be doing them. But this is what I really, really wanted to do. I always heard from other people, oh, well, you know, it takes so much time to become a published author. And I thought, you know what? The time is going to go by anyway. I might as well be doing something that I want and I love. And I'm so happy. I'm so grateful that that's what I'm doing. I'm doing it now. Awesome. So just because we all drop up with the fill in the blank question of, I really like it when choosing anyone off the cuff or soapbox answer of a really like it when writers, editors, publishers, agents, books, series, whatever, something storytelling does X and I really don't like X. So how are you fill in the blank for that? What I don't like about books is ones that have too much exposition. Again, get to the point. Come on. You can only string the reader along so long. But what I love about the books I love is I'm reading them. I enjoy the characters. I'm enjoying the story. I'm immersed in it. But I love it when I get to the last page and it makes my heart sigh. I think about books that hold that fascination that attraction for me those are the ones i love those are the ones i value those are the ones that i remember from a child from the ones that i'm reading as an adult and i can think about one example and that was the book guess how much i love you by mcnulty i was actually looking for a baby gift 
to give at a shower. And I'd never seen this book before. And so I was at Barnes and Noble and I'm reading the book and I said, Oh, this is nice, this is nice, this is nice. And I get to the last page and I just said, Oh, oh. <laughs> and and I kept the book for myself. <laughs> But I gave them a gift card, so that turned out to be okay. <laughs> um, but that's what I love, and that's what I admire. Ah, and then just quick question. So that you're reading a whole range of books? You're not specifically only reading what your genres are? No, I like to read more than that because I want to be more than just one thing. And I think you do cherry pick items, tones, vocabulary, snippets, scenarios from all that you read. You never know where when you're writing something and an idea pops into your head and suddenly you're writing it and it may have come from something that you read. So widen your possibilities, expand your horizons. Yes. And that's a good, hopeful, encouraging note to end off on. Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. It was great to speak with you. Thank you so much, Esther. This was a bonus episode of Oh My Word podcast featuring author Kathleen Troy. To find out more about Kathleen and her work, please visit the link in the episode notes. To find out more about Oh My Word podcast and to keep track of all the great stuff we're up to, follow us on Instagram at Oh My Word podcast. Please check us out at eltenabound.com. Music is by Tim Burke. Thank you so much for joining us. Catch you next time.